0: The Lifestylist, episode 58, featuring Dr. Mark Youssef.
1: I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. I don't know how the hell you ended up here, my friend, but I am damn glad you did. This is the Lifestylist Podcast. I'm your guide, your host, Mr. Luke Story. Today, our guest is Dr. Mark Youssef, and we talk about the amazing, miraculous power of stem cell therapy. This is something I wanted to do a show on for quite a while now, and I tracked down just the right guy, and he happened to be located right here in Santa Monica, California, so I went to his office and asked him literally every damn question that I've ever had about this this amazing, fantastic technology known as stem cell treatment or stem cell therapy. So some of the things we cover in this episode are, of course, what are stem cells and how can they help us? And why is the FDA and the AMA so paranoid about this particular therapy so we get into a lot of the political and religious issues around this treatment and why it's been so slow to catch on even though it's super effective There's some things going on uh, that the FDA has just done which is pretty exciting though such as um, allowing people to use what are called cord stem cells It gets a little trippy right here but just stay with me that's a stem cells taken from the umbilical cord of a newborn it's like fetal tissue that normally gets discarded after birth anyway and these are a thousand times more potent than the cells that you take out of your own adult body so, You can see why the FDA might get a little bit weird, but I'm hoping that shows like this and getting the word out will help some of the stuff that actually works and doesn't hurt anybody get out and become available to the general public then we talk about what is a stem cell storage bank. Turns out you can have them taken out when you're young, when they're really powerful and have them put back in later on, which is really cool. Then we go into some of the stuff going on in other countries where it's less restrictive. So in places like Mexico, Panama, and Germany, there are people doing things like using animal stem cells from goats and stuff, which is fascinating, but you're going to be surprised to hear a lot of that stuff actually works. And then we discussed some of the most common ailments treated with stem cell therapy, like hair loss and baldness. We discussed the side effects of some drugs like Propecia that people normally use. And it turns out PRP and stem cell therapies, things like this, are actually much more effective and much safer. Using stem cells and laser treatments for erectile dysfunction and vaginal rejuvenation. Yes, you heard that right. We're going there. It's pretty interesting stuff. Then how to get stem cells into the brain to treat Parkinson's and other neurological conditions. How to treat hearing loss and tinnitus, ringing in the ears. I really wanna know how to fix that because my ear rings like hell, drives me crazy. Treating vision issues like macular degeneration and vision loss, there's even one reported case of actual blindness being totally reversed. Yes, I told you this stuff is a trip. And then we discuss the dangers of LASIK surgery, again, like the Propecia, like some of these drugs and other surgical treatments that are really costly and have a lot of uh, downside potential. So stem cells are a great alternative to some of those things. And then finally, we wrap up with the real question, which is how much do these miracle treatments cost, right? wah, wah. wah. Okay, I'm going to warn you. It can be expensive, but you have to think about the cost of hospital stays, surgery, long-term prescription drugs, etc. So it's kind of scary when you when you hear the price tag on some of these miracle treatments, but I would say in most cases probably totally worth it. And we wrap up talking about the future of medicine and some of the things that are coming out like 3D printing and cell medicine combined. He talks about, well, god, I don't want to spoil it, but they grew a human body part and, and sewed it on someone and it worked. It's Frankenstein shit, man, but it's amazing. It's really cool stuff. So thanks again for joining me on the show. I want to do you a favor. You know what that is? I'm not only going to deliver this episode to you, I want to deliver my weekly mailer to you, which includes all of the show notes from every episode. So, we're going to talk about tons of links and drop all kinds of knowledge in this episode. And you'll be going, damn, I got to listen to this again. I wish I could remember. You don't have to do that, my friend. Just go to lukestory.com and sign up for my newsletter. It's right there on the homepage. It says Join the Tribe. I'll send you my new videos, my new podcast releases every week, along with all of the information that pertains to each episode. It's pretty cool. And it is 100% free, F-R-E-E. All right, I think that's it. I just want to let you know that next week's show on Tuesday, number 59, with my guest Psalm Isadora, is one you don't want to miss. You know why? Because it is about sex, my friend. It's a pretty raunchy, down and dirty episode. I had a lot of fun doing that one. And you'll find that next Tuesday. Thanks so much for listening and share this episode with a friend. This episode is brought to you by my friends over at Organifi. I discovered this product a few months ago and it has changed the game for me. Everybody knows that green juice is good for you, right? Here's the deal, though. A couple disadvantages to your average cold-pressed green juice. A, a lot of times it comes in plastic, not good. B, it's usually loaded with sugar, up to 25 grams, which is basically like drinking a green Coca-Cola, not happening. Next is, they go bad. You can't leave it sitting out, and they're really bad for travel. So I love my green juice. That's cool. Cold-pressed. I get the sugar-free ones. I'm into it. But Organifi makes a green-powdered superfood that comes in these little packets. That are portable and you can take with you So I keep them in my car and in my bag And on demand, anytime I have a bottle of water I can pour one of these in there And have an instant green juice Alkalizing, energizing, gives you mental clarity It's fantastic, it's loaded with 11 superfoods A lot of the green powders not only taste gross and are overpriced, but they'll have like 200 ingredients. And I'm always thinking, how much of each ingredient is actually in there, okay? These 11 superfoods are the important ones that you need, like turmeric, chlorella, wheatgrass, spirulina, mint, moringa, ashwagandha, lemon, beets, matcha green tea, and coconut water. And it's sweetened with monk fruit, so it's got a zero glycemic index. It's fantastic stuff. So if you want to check this drink out, work on your health in a way that actually tastes good and is super convenient, here's what you do. Go to Organifi.com, that's with an I, Organifi, Enter the code LIFESTYLIST and save 20% off your order. You guys know I always give you a hookup if I'm going to tell you about something cool that I discovered. So again, go to Organifi.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST at checkout and save 20%. It's really good stuff. A massive part of my health strategy is the ingestion on a regular basis of medicinal herbs and medicinal mushrooms. And my primary source for those is a company called Four Sigmatic. If you remember way back in the day in episode eight, I had a guest by the name of Taro Isacapula from this company. And we talked all about the power of these amazing herbs and mushrooms. Well, Four Sigmatic do a great job of making them not only potent, but also convenient and delicious. So they make these little packets of herbs that you add to hot water, cold water, or bulletproof coffee, whatever your recipe is. I make them with all kinds of different stuff all the time. It makes a really easy way to get this stuff into your body. And these are herbs that have a real effect on you. It's very powerful stuff. So go to foursigmatic.com. But wait, I'm going to hook it up. When you get to foursigmatic.com, enter the code THELIFESTYLIST at checkout to save 15% off your order. So you can get things like reishi mushrooms, chaga mushrooms, cordyceps, lion's mane, ashwagandha, all the good stuff that really works. So go to foursigmatic.com. Enter the code THELIFESTYLIST and save 15% off your order. Dr. Mark Youssef is the medical director and founder of Unique Cosmetic Surgery, located only steps from the Pacific Ocean in Santa Monica, California. As a board-certified cosmetic surgeon, he specializes in surgical enhancements of the face and body, as well as minimally invasive cosmetic procedures. Recognized by his peers in Plastic Surgery Practice Magazine as one of the best cosmetic and plastic surgeons in the country, Dr. Youssef has become the cosmetic surgeon to many celebrities, entertainers, and business executives that rely on him for precision cosmetic enhancements and natural-looking results. Dr. Youssef is sought after as a leader in the field of cosmetic surgery, appearing frequently on television programs like The Doctors and Access Hollywood. He's also been quoted in Star Magazine, Savoir Magazine, and InTouch Weekly. When appearing in the media, Dr. Youssef is often asked to discuss the latest cosmetic enhancement trends and technologies, and has also demonstrated his skills by performing cosmetic procedures on television. So here we are with the man himself, Dr. Mark, Mr. Stem Cell. So great to be here. Good to see you. I'm really excited to hear about what you
0: do. Uh, thank you, Luke. It's great to be on this episode with you. and. Uh, looking forward to chatting with you.
1: Awesome. So how did you get into this area of medicine that you are, all this cosmetic stuff and stem cells and all this very cutting edge business that you have going here at the
0: office? Well, I went through um, two surgical specialties. One was gynecology surgery, and then I went and got board certified in cosmetic surgery. And as my career developed in cosmetic surgery, at the same time, certain types of procedures were becoming very popular. For example, things like Brazilian butt lifts and fat transfers to certain parts of the body. So when you see a woman who suddenly has a much rounder lifted buttocks, it's usually not working out in the gym. It's usually taking fat from an area she doesn't want in her body and transferring it into the buttocks to give more of that hourglass shape.
1: I'm so out of touch. I thought that when I see women go through these transformations on Instagram that they're just like doing deadlifts at CrossFit. (laughs) So no, they're moving fat around from one place to another. It's
0: usually not deadlifts. Or The amount of work you can do in the gym does obviously improve muscle tone. It improves uh, the shape of the buttocks, but never really augments or enlarges the buttocks that much. And so looking like Iggy Azalea or trying to look like Kim Kardashian, unfortunately, that amount of change in a woman's body is not going to happen without a surgical intervention. Something like either a buttocks implant, which is a solid silicone implant, or a nicer, safer way to do it is just transferring unwanted fat from love handles, stomach, et cetera, into the buttocks. So a lot of women who really have a large change in their rear end, it's really about uh, transferring fat there. But when we started to do fat transfers to smaller areas, for example, the face or a cheek or maybe filling in the hollows in the temples, uh, we started to notice that about 40 or 50% of the fat that we would transfer would die. They wouldn't, it wouldn't survive the process. So collaboration with other physicians going to conferences, we started to learn about adding something called stromal vascular fraction or stem cells to the fat, enriching the fat, To make these fat cells not only survive better, but have a better result overall. And nobody really quite understood why adding stem cells really made the result better. But we started to notice that uh, more fat survived and the overall quality of the skin and the overall result was dramatically better. So of course, your scientific mind as a physician, you start to say, well, if stem cells can really make these cosmetic procedures so much better. What else can we use these stem cells for? So about five or six years ago, uh, my mom was getting close to retirement. She worked as a pharmacist in a hospital, and I just slowly started to see her deteriorate. She was constantly going to her orthopedic surgeon. Her cartilage in her knee was really wearing out, and eventually she got to the point where she was really walking with a knee brace and a cane, and. She came to me one day and she said, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to go in for a knee replacement because they've done all the shots they can do. They've done all the cortisone injections they can do. They've done all the lubricating injections in my knee that they can do. And really at this point, there's nothing else they can do for me except a knee replacement. And she was kind of bummed out because she didn't really want a knee replacement. And she's, she heard a lot of negative things about knee replacements too. You've got a, a big chunk of metal in, in your knee basically. And so I said, listen you know, I'm kind of starting to learn about these stem cells. I've done a few of these procedures. I I really think it wouldn't hurt to give it a try. Why don't we just take some of your own stem cells, inject them into your knee, and if it doesn't work in three or six months, you can go ahead and have the surgery. So she was uh, nice enough to be one of my first uh, orthopedic uh, guinea pigs, so to speak. Probably not likely to try to (laughs) sue you or anything. (laughs) Exactly, (laughs) exactly. It's always good to start. (laughs) She grows like an antler out of her leg or something. Hey, it's uh, you know she'll have to live with it. (laughs) So she was being a a very good sport about it, realizing that you know this was really kind of at the infancy, really the beginning of understanding what what was happening. And we put in the uh, the stem cells into her left knee, and you know, she lives about an hour and a half away from me. So I don't see her very often. And uh, a few weeks later, I would check on her and she'd say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I haven't really noticed any improvement yet. And then about one month, I, I see her in person and, uh, you know, she's still wearing the knee brace, but I noticed that she's not using her cane anymore. And uh, she says, yeah, you know, I, I actually noticed that I'm not really picking up the cane anymore. That's, that's not too bad. And then another month goes by and I, I realize that she's starting to walk up and downstairs more easily. She's not really limping as much. And then another month goes by, and I realize uh, she's not even wearing her knee brace anymore. And a few months go by, and then her and my dad go to Italy and, and, and travel all over the country, which she wouldn't have been able to do. And uh, it's been almost six years, and she hasn't actually ever needed anything else on that knee since. Wow. Completely gone back to normal. Wow. And in fact, six years later, just a few months ago, uh, her right knee started acting up, and she didn't even think about surgery. She went straight to stem cells and said, that's all I want to do. So We just did her right knee a few months ago.
1: Wow, wow. So for the people listening that don't even know what stem cells are, like I remember when I first heard about them, it was like, I don't know, it was always something the FDA was like all pissed about. (laughs) Like it's this really underground kind of weird thing and I never fully understood what they
0: are. So what's like a layman's definition of what a stem cell actually is? Great question. So a stem cell is really a multipotential cell that can become any type of tissue in the body. So it's a cell that basically doesn't know what it wants to become yet. It can become a bone cell, it can become a cartilage cell, it can become a tissue cell, it can become a blood cell. So when a stem cell is located in anywhere in your body, it actually waits to receive signals from its surrounding neighbors and it waits to also be awakened so that it actually can start to differentiate, which means go down a path of becoming a certain type of cell. Now, the reason why there's been a lot of controversy, not only in politics, but at the FDA, is because there's certain types of stem cells that come from fetal and embryonic tissue. For example, like aborted fetuses. And you can imagine the amount of religious and political debate that would happen over it. Is it right? Is it okay to use these, you know, aborted fetuses to, to do research on, to do stem cells on. Is is it okay to, to take stem cells from an embryonic origin and maybe re- help a spinal cord injury patient?
1: It gets complex, it gets in that very way, way, right? complex. So and, yeah, you have someone who's a paraplegic that could be helped via stem cells from an aborted baby that might have had a really crappy life for whatever you know it's like yeah i can see how that would be very complex you could see, you i mean could just the it. moral implications yes. are heavy
0: let alone legal yes. right so that's really where the majority of the I negativity remember comes that from, yeah right? i remember that yeah and so a lot of it had to do with political and and re- religious debates um so the great thing about kind of the field that i'm investigating it's really all about adult Fat-derived, they're called mesenchymal cells and they all come from adult tissue and they're all put back in the same patient from from yourself. So the great thing is there's really not a lot of debate about this type. So the two main types that groups of physicians like me really investigate are bone marrow-derived stem cells and fat cell-derived stem cells. Those are the two that are most easily used, most easily accessed, and easily reinserted into the same patient. So you're not taking anything from anyone else. These are all cells from your own body going back into your own body.
1: And from what I understand, the marrow cells are a bit more painful to get out. It's like much more of a serious procedure, right? Then like if I did it today, would you could just, I have plenty of belly fat. (laughs) Would you just like basically do like a little liposuction out of my belly, get the fat, do some weird stuff
0: to it, and then put it back wherever versus, does the other one come from your femur? or usually the hip bone. So there's a, you have a pretty big hip bone called the iliac crest. And and unfortunately that bone's pretty thick. So you have to use a device that basically looks like a wine cork opener. It's a, it's a corkscrew. So you have to basically almost drill a hole through the bone and oh, then you have man. to suck
1: out the... So when you're doing that type of extraction, the patient is under anesthesia,
0: I'm assuming. Most of the time, you'd be surprised. A lot of patients who are stoic, they can handle a bone marrow biopsy just with some local anesthesia, wow. but I would say the majority of patients want some sedation because wow. to, to actually make a hole into a bone and get into bone marrow, it's pretty painful. Who wants sedation more men or women? Um, I would say men. Yeah, I I already knew the (laughs) answer.
1: (laughs) I always ask doctors questions about men and women with pain tolerance. It's like 100% of the time. It's true, um, Nature designed them to have a baby. They can (laughs) handle... I think they can handle emotional pain more too, but that's another conversation. Yes. Just watch how fast people recover from divorces and there's some testament to that theory. Uh, Okay, so in terms of the stem cells then, if it's so much gnarlier to get them taken out of your hip bone, which sounds like Frankensteinian and painful, are those like the really good stem cells? Is that like the chronic stuff that's in your hip and like your belly fat, like not as good? Is it worth spending extra pain and money to get those out of the hip or does it matter? And why do
0: people still do it if it's a, a much more complicated procedure? It's that's it's a great question. So that question is still in debate today. And it's really about your kind of your school of thought. Bone marrow stem cells are generally thought to be very quickly derived into, you know, they're meant to be derived into blood cells. You know, so when when bone marrow actually releases stem cells into the bloodstream, they become white blood cells. They become red blood cells. They become the cells that carry oxygen around the body. So they're used to changing and becoming things that your body needs very quickly. However, bone marrow stem cells get depleted over time because your body's constantly using them and you're, as your body ages, you don't have as many and you can't generate as many and you can't awaken as many. So if you take, uh, let's say, a 5 or 10-year-old person and you actually measure the amount of stem cells in their bone marrow, it's 100 times more than somebody who's 50 or 60 years old. So that's when people started to say, okay, well, if these type of cells are really kind of rapidly depleting, maybe we're not getting enough numbers of them as we get older. So we got to find a different place to, to get stem cells. So that's where the fat cells came from because we have a lot of fat cells and only recently did we actually know that there's actually stem cells hiding in between them. So when you take a group of fat cells and you actually look at the group of cells that are in between all the fat cells, that's where these mesenchymal multipotential cells live. Uh, so the theory is the fat cells are easier to extract, less painful. And the number of stem cells we can actually get is much higher compared to, let's say, an ounce of bone marrow versus an ounce of fat. It's almost a thousand times more.
1: Wow, so that's substantial. It's
0: substantial. However, nobody knows how many stem cells you need for a certain type of disease or a certain issue. So, for example, nobody really knows if I put a million bone marrow stem cells in my knee, is that enough? Is that the right dose? Is that the therapeutic amount that's going to get rid of my problem? Or do I need 2 million? Or do I need 100 million? So nobody really knows. We're all still in this learning phase. All I can tell you is that the majority of patients who have these procedures done, and I'm talking about more than 80%, have dramatic improvement with both bone marrow and fat-derived stem cells. I typically do a lot more fat-derived, so I can just kind of give you more Of my experience with it. But in general, I think even the orthopedic surgeons who aren't comfortable doing liposuction and aren't comfortable using fat cells, they're getting still very decent results with with bone marrow cells as well.
1: So if you do the fat Derived ones. Do you get like a little tummy tuck in there? I mean, is there? Do you actually like lose any fat from your stomach in like a liposuction sort of capacity, or it, in? Uh, or is it not enough? To well, make Luke, in
0: somebody your size, you're you're a lot thinner than I am. Um, I would say you would probably notice a little bit of a difference. Um, someone who's a little bit uh, bigger like me probably wouldn't notice as big of a difference because we're talking about uh, think of a Coca Cola can. We're taking about a half of that amount Okay, so, so not that if much you're, fat. It's not yeah. that much fat. But if you're fairly fit and you just have a tiny little bulge in your love handles that amount of fat probably could make a difference. But it's no, it's not a traditional type of liposuction. Right. We call it a mini liposuction. Oh, okay, because I remember another thing with the lipos,
1: I remember seeing that on, I don't know, just documentary TV shows and stuff, and it looks so disgusting. It looks like, at least back when I you know first saw it, it's like these giant needles getting <laughs> shoved in and out really fast. It's like, oh my God, what are you doing? So in terms of the difference between the fat-derived or the bone marrow-derived, That's kind of still being figured out. It is. The thing I'm curious about is if like the benefit of the fat derived is just that there's more of them. Yes. That outside of the United States and countries like uh, Mexico, Germany, down in Panama and different places, there's a lot of clinics that are doing stem cell work and they'll extract some stem cells and then sort of culture them and multiply them. Yes. So you could get a hundred million to put in your knee if you wanted to. Is it still up for debate whether more is better and why in the United States can you not multiply them? What's the beef of the FDA or the
0: AMA or whatever that's preventing that? It's really the FDA. So the FDA has regulations that say once when you take a cell out of the body and you manipulate it, you multiply it, you alter it in A certain number of ways. So once when it's past a point of what's called minimal manipulation, and minimal manipulation is actually still up for debate, what is minimal manipulation? Um, We believe that just taking them out, washing them, extracting them, and putting them back into the same person on the same day, as long as it's the same day procedure, that's considered a surgical same day procedure, right? So it doesn't really infringe on what the FDA is talking about. Now, if you take the cells out and you now multiply them and use certain reagents to, to make them more and more generations of them, the FDA considers that as a drug manufacturing process. You've now taken something and altered it and you're now creating a drug. And so in order for you to be able to create a drug, you have to follow certain guidelines and really become like a drug manufacturing company which doctors are not. So in order for some companies to do research in this field, they've actually left the country and done it in other places where, like the Cayman Islands, for example, where the governments don't have an issue with multiplying cells. So here in the United States, anything that's not done on the same day with the same patient is considered manufacturing a drug. Interesting. So that's
1: that's, that's right. really the definition. Right, that's very clear. And so... If not, I know you would never break the law or anything like that. So it's like a weird question to ask, but how difficult is it? If it were totally legal, how difficult is it to multiply them? And how long does that take? Like if someone said, okay, you're free and clear to do that. Could you do that down the hall in your office today? Or is that a whole other like crazy procedure to
0: to make more out of them? It it is a more complex procedure. You you need certain type of bioreactors that actually take cells and keep them alive and culture them and get them to, to divide, go through mitosis. Uh, and then you, you need a way to culture them, make sure they're still sterile and there's no bacteria growing in it. So you do need kind of like this uh, this GMP type lab. So it's not just like making some kefir? No, <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not that simple. <laughs> Fermenting some yogurt yeah. or something? That's, yeah. and, and also there's some debate as to how many generations. So even the people who are doing research outside the US, there's a debate on two really interesting subjects in regards to multiplying the cells. Number one is... How many generations can you multiply before these cells really start to lose potency? In other words, are they still as, as capable of becoming any type of tissue if they're the seventh, eighth, or ninth generation, right? So there's already some indications that you can only really multiply these cells so many times before they start to really become weaker and unable to perform
1: right which is sort of defeat the purpose of having you know yeah. 100 million when exactly. 5 million really good ones is actually exactly. the same net exactly. value or the net effect
0: right exactly. interesting so that's kind of one question you know where yeah. where does it where does it start to become diminishing returns right and then there's another question and one question i want to
1: interject can they do the multiplying version of this from the fat extracted ones. Yes, they from can. either, from oh, either okay, one. I see.
0: Okay. so you can do from fat or from bone marrow. I see. Okay, a lot of research is from bone marrow because the bone marrow is really much smaller in number, so they want to get it to multiply. Okay. Fat cells, you can just suck out more fat, and you right. have more cells. You know? Right, so, and
1: it doesn't it take a period of time to it does usually like at, at it,
0: least a week or two to get a few right, generations. Right, right.
1: There was a place in Mexico I was I was looking into. It was like it's quite expensive too. It's fifteen grand. You have to fly down there. I think at this time, this is a year ago. I was looking into this. They only did the bone marrow extraction. Then you had to fly home, wait two weeks, and yes. go back, yes. and then do local applications or systemic. And then they also had an interesting thing, which. I know I totally interrupted your question. Hopefully you can remember what it was or your answer, what it was, but they also have this thing where they'll store them indefinitely. So you can go in and get your 46 year old stem cells sort of locked in and multiplied, and then hang on to them. And when you're 90 and you break your wrist or something, you go in boop, and you get your old,
0: nice, vibrant young stem cells, which was interesting. Yes. Yes. And that, and that is, that's the attraction to multiplying and storing cells is that you can, uh, multiply them and then just use certain portions of them throughout your life when you need it. So that's kind of the the attraction to that. The second part of the of the question was okay, well, if you keep multiplying them, do certain seventh, eighth, ninth generation cells respond better? There's another question to okay, well, let's just say we keep multiplying them, is there a risk that the multiplication process would start to create abnormal cells. In other words, will these cells mutate into certain types of cells we don't want them to grow into? If you keep kind of forcing the multiplication process, is there a risk of mutations down the line as well? So you've kind of got these two issues being sorted out in this multiplication process too. So we've really kept we've really kept to a very simple model, which is let's take the cells fresh out of your body, let's Prepare them, clean them, and give them right back to you.
1: So it sounds like it's just going to take some more time for this thing to kind of exist, for the FDA to chill out and more clinical trials and things like that happen to see. Like, because I think when I first heard about it and when you're talking about fetuses and all this stuff, it's like you just picture mutations. Like I joked about an antler growing out of your mom's (laughs) knee, you know, it's like that sounds very like mad scientist and kind of freaky. So on one hand I can sort of see why the system, you know, the FDA would want to limit that, but on the other side I'm like also super punk rock in my attitude about things and I always think the man is like trying to hold us back and you know, if this if they come up with a cure with stem cells that actually works, it's going to put all the pharmaceutical companies out of business and that's where the restriction come from. So To me, I'm like, give me freaking goat stem cells. Like, just do something that works. I don't (laughs) care if there's risks, you know. But I I think you have a temperate attitude about it, you know, which is I'm sure your patients appreciate too,
0: that you're not like, hey, let's just see what happens, you know. But Luke, you you bring up a good point. There's a right that patients have to kind of use what they want to use. Like, everyone should have the right to say okay, these are my own cells. I shouldn't have to have the FDA or the government tell me when and, and how I can use them. That's one school of thought. And then there's the other school of thought, well, you know, we need to kind of stop people from hurting themselves and using goat cells or, or maybe like infected cells that aren't clean. So there has to be some sort of regulation so that people don't hurt themselves or have too many choices that maybe are unhealthy or can harm you. So there's a fine line between protecting the public and also Big Brother controlling the public. And yeah. the theory of pharmaceutical companies possibly losing a large market share is not unrealistic either. You have to consider the average you know knee surgery costs at least $75,000 to $100,000. What? Right? Yes, at oh least. If you, if you take into consideration the hospital time, the surgeon's time, the actual hardware of the implants, the cost of that, I mean, some some hardware for the knee is fifteen to twenty thousand just hardware. Uh, so when you, when you take into consideration just an outpatient simple knee procedure, think about all the companies that lose money if that patient gets better with just their own stem cells. That's crazy. Or yeah. th- or just think about a drug that's for knee pain. Let's say an arthritis medication, something similar to uh, Tylenol arthritis or Advil arthritis, something like that. Even if half the people got better with stem cells and didn't have to take this knee pain medication anymore, and let's say that medication sells $10 billion a year, they've now lost $5 billion. That's substantial. So there's
1: no doubt powers that be with these type of therapies that aren't really patentable, right? That there's got to be a lot of pushback behind the scenes on this type of um, progressive medicine. I mean, I, I'm just—I've been into just weird healing modalities and energy medicine and all this stuff for so long, and I've seen some really miraculous things happen. And I see that a lot of that. The technology is suppressed, the information is suppressed. It's always sort of like shoved into the fringe of this quackery, when in fact a lot of it is actually very valid. And I'm always going, well, why won't? If you could just get in this machine, and, you know, like like PMF, um, PMF, uh, you know, therapies and just weird things like that. Uh, I can't think of the names of all the weird stuff that I've looked into and tried, but there's so many things and they get miraculous results. And I'm always like scratching my head, why isn't this out there? And it's like, well, what you're explaining. But the other side of that is, I mean, on the ethical side in in terms of like stem cells, say, and mutations and possible risks and dangers is you might have someone like me who's more of a cowboy with my health and I'm willing to try some crazy shit just to see if it works. And I've tried some stuff that's totally backfired and (laughs) later on I found out was like not good for you and potentially dangerous and things like that, Um, especially mixing some of the like energy medicine things that don't stack well on one another. right. Um, Then I talked to a smarter person (laughs) than I that's like, don't do that. Just do one at a time. So you have someone like me who's very cavalier and like, ah, whatever, it'll be fine. And you're an ethical doctor. But if the gates were, floodgates were sort of opened by the FDA, then you'd have a lot of perhaps unethical uh, practitioners who are greedy, dishonest, deceptive. And then you have sort of a gullible risk-taking patient like myself and you put those two together that's a potential powder keg of legal liabilities and just malpractice right. galore. So right. it's like I see both sides of it. I, I, I wish that, you know, things would just open up, but there does have to be some sort of regulation.
0: There does. I'll tell you the main fear of the FDA and most regulatory bodies is controlling infection. When as soon as you take something out of someone's body and put it back in, that time that it's out of the body. Is time where something could get bacterial contamination, right? So, the whole, a lot of regulations are really built on managing infection and keeping things sterile. So, a lot of FDA regulations are all about inspecting the sterility of things, the sterility of manufacturing processes, the the sterility um, of a drug, you know, testing. Things for bacteria, testing things for how sterile something is. So really it's this infection control that's a big part of it. Because even if something isn't as efficacious or even if something is safe, but maybe it doesn't do anything amazing for you, as long as it's not going to infect you and as long as it's safe... The safety is kind of way more important to regulatory bodies like the FDA than uh, than efficacy. Right, right. That makes sense, and that's
1: good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good thing. <laughs> like, I don't want a nut like me to be able to walk into a doctor and get some crazy, right. you know, flesh-eating virus when I'm trying to heal my knee or something. <laughs> exactly. So that exactly. totally that totally makes sense. So let's talk about the age of the cells. Then, so we know. You know, if I'm 20 years old and I get some stem cells extracted and preserved, whether they're multiplied or not, that those are much more powerful in terms of their ability to heal than if I got them extracted at 40. So, do you foresee in the future where younger people could?
0: start banking their cells
1: start banking their cells or a place where there's like a marketplace for cells sort of like a sperm donor <laughs> situation now where you go in and get paid 25 bucks to fill the cup so that some you know um, couple that was infertile for some reason can have a kid like do you foresee in the future where when you're as soon as you turn 18 you're legally allowed to go sell your stem cells and then an 80-year-old can buy those cells and put them in their hip and heal their hip? I mean, do you think that the crossing the age barrier and crossing one human to another barrier is foreseeable or do you think that's
0: just too crazy? No, I actually think that will probably be in the near future. In fact, there was a study just a couple years ago in Korea where it was A hair regrowth study. Oh, Uh, hello! You got my attention. I'm listening. (laughs) (laughs) It was it was a group of Korean doctors that uh, basically made a little tattoo. uh, They actually tattooed a circle in an area where somebody was semi balding, and they counted the number of hairs in that circle. They then grabbed 25 donors. They got stem cells from 25 different other donors. And you know, make sure they were sterile, tested them for sexually transmitted diseases, et cetera. So that's the fear in getting donors, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I don't
1: want herpes on my exactly. scalp. Thank you very much. The
0: last thing you want is getting HIV just to grow your hair, right? Right. So after uh, testing, they took uh, a mixture of 25 different donors, stem cells, and they injected them into that circle. You know, waited a few months, allowed the hair follicles to grow. And they actually not only proved that the hair did grow more, um, but they proved that stem cells from one human being to the other could actually work very well. In other words, stem cells don't have the same type of rejection that other people have. Like if I were to give you one of my kidneys, even if we were a very close match, you'd still have to take anti-rejection medication for the rest of your life because there's still your immune system still recognizes certain aspects of that organ that are different with stem cells because they're so multipotential and they're so primitive, they actually don't even recognize that they're in the wrong body.
1: Wow, so they don't have like a DNA signature that's going to be expressed
0: as rejection.
1: W- wow, right.
0: that's cool. So you can actually take these cells from other people and use them. Now, I don't I don't think that's going to be in the next few years in the US, but I definitely think it's going to be in the next decade or two, for sure.
1: Is there a lot of stem cell tourism going on right now? And if so, which countries are the most progressive and and freewheeling in terms of their experimentation or efficiency?
0: I think uh, Mexico is definitely one of the largest. Uh, Panama has a a large group of stem cell clinics. Asia, Korea is on the cutting edge of stem cell research and processing type machines and equipment. Uh, Cayman Islands has a very open government to stem cell research. They're actually welcoming people to come and do stem cell research in, in uh, clinics there. I would probably say the, those are the best. Probably the, the ones closest to the U.S. that would have the most number of stem cell clinics would probably be Mexico. Yeah. And the disadvantage and to,
1: disadvantage to that, obviously, is the expense and just the time expenditure and all of that. I mean, you're like right in Santa Monica, you guys that are listening. His office is like literally right looking over the Santa Monica Pier. if I was going to do this, I'd be like, "Eh, do I want to like take a flight into some weird town in Mexico and like have to come back and do all this crazy stuff or just like roll in here? I mean, just that's the way my mind works. Do I want to spend that much time and energy? Unless of course you wanted to do something really experimental, maybe that, you know, was kind of new. Like I remember years ago, um, this is probably going back 10 years ago and I was working with a health coach and uh, named truth Calkins, And he's like, he was a biohacker. like He is the mother or the daddy, grandfather, that's the word I'm <laughs> looking for, of all biohackers before that was even a, a word. I mean, this guy is, I'm going to have him on my show soon. I'm trying to track him down. But he is like the first guy to try everything, any kind of weird machine, energy medicine, all that stuff. And I remember him telling me about a place and it was just a little too sketchy for me even, but it was in Tijuana. Okay. <laughs> and and it was a stem cell thing because I, I I still have persistent kind of, Sacrum, lower back kind of issues that I'm. I, and thank you for the people listening uh, to my show that email me all the time. Different alternatives to right. try. I'm I'm working on getting through that list. It's really nice when you, when you bitch about something on the show. Right. <laughs> you get you yeah, get your the recommendation. Like, hey man, I got something for you. It's great. So keep it coming. But uh, his recommendation at one point was, I believe they were goat stem cells, like from a goat umbilical cord or something to that degree, okay. and that they were very biocompatible with the human body, and they were it was like crazy next level miracle stuff that was being performed. Like go in, get a systemic you know, infusion with these goat stem cells or whatever, sheep or whatever it was. And like you walk out, not in a wheelchair anymore. I mean, it was like really, really substantial miraculous stories. Um, I had a girlfriend at the time that was not supportive of that plan.
0: So you didn't go? <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> I didn't further investigate it, but I, you know, I was seriously considering at least, you know, going there and getting some more information and stuff like that, but um, you know, God bless her, the the woman at the time was like, yeah, I'm, if you do that, we're done or something. You know, I was like it was just too crazy. She was sick of all my shenanigans. So have you heard of any cross species Use of stem cells or
0: is that not something people are really looking at? No, into there there is actually, to be honest with you, there was a very large, large clinic that had been around since the 1930s in Switzerland. That had been using uh, sheep stem cells. So maybe
1: it was sheep. Okay, yeah, it was yeah. sheep, and
0: I'm I'm pretty sure the one in Mexico was probably sheep as well.
1: It just it sounded more sketchy because it was Tijuana, too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If it was like Cancun, or right? Like, somebody's a little nicer. But I've been to Tijuana, man, and like I don't know if I want to have any sort of surgical procedure done within the city limits of Tijuana.
0: Well, it's true, and 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 here's the thing: even even if you do have a surgical procedure, and this goes this goes for the cosmetic procedures we do too. The cost savings that you might get in the procedure, if one little thing goes wrong and you actually have to go into a hospital in Tijuana, I mean the, the standard of, of care and the cleanliness of the facility may actually be very life threatening to you at that point. So having a small complication and have to be that has to be taken care of outside the US can actually almost kill you just from getting something worse happen to you right, in, right. in the hospital. You're
1: like, I saved five hundred bucks, but I got a
0: staph infection. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Which turned into an amputation of my leg, right. you know? And so, so so back to the sheep. Uh, yeah. what's the what's
1: the buzz on the street with you docs about
0: about that? I, I I have to tell you the clinic just shut down for some unknown reason a few years ago, but they'd been around for over seventy years. Oh. Um, but I have to tell you a lot of people who had gone there, they told me very, very positive things about it. They did, I think, have a couple of deaths, either for some anaphylactic reaction or, you know, some sort of reaction to the cells that was negative. However, I, I do have to say that they've probably treated thousands and thousands of people over the decades and a lot of them had miraculous improvement. So again, it's this kind of primitive cell that doesn't know that it's in the wrong type of species So there isn't a lot of rejection reports That totally
1: makes sense. It hasn't really decided what it wants to be yet or expressed itself.
0: And even though we'd like to think of ourselves as really uh, amazing creatures and animals, we are extremely closely related to sheep, you know, monkeys, pigs. Our DNA is very closely related. Some
1: of us are more related
0: to pigs than others. (laughs) (laughs) That's true.
1: That's funny. I was accused of that at one point (laughs) in my life. So I want to get back to the... The different types and the age, because something I've been looking into is that apparently, and I've asked people about this in your field, and they're like, What are you talking about? You can't do that. But there's a a clinic in Florida, which I don't remember the name of at the moment, but they work, they do a lot of very like cutting edge alternative therapies for um, eye problems and eye disease. Yes. My dad's been going there um, for macular degeneration, and they do something called microcurrent, essentially, like the little electrocute your eyeball and it fixes it or whatever. Something they just started adding to their repertoire uh, was using cord stem cells, uh, which come from the um, umbilical cord of a newborn. Correct. And they say that these cells are 1,000 times more potent than the autologous, what are those called? Uh,
0: autologous. Autologous, yeah. autologous cells, which is what you're describing, correct, right? Correct. So
1: what's up with these umbilical cord cells, and do you think there's any data to support that claim?
0: It, there, is, there is data that they are more potent uh, in terms of number of cells that can create an effect. Again, the, the fear goes back to, okay, these are coming from a different person. And also the chance of disease transmission, the chance of uh, some sort of reaction to a different person's either cells or proteins even around the cells could, is still a possibility. Um, however, I will tell you that there, there are several studies that show that macular degeneration, glaucoma, can be improved with these umbilical cells and even the autologous stem cells as well. There's a couple of clinics in Florida that are doing macular oh, degeneration. Oh, so you heard of that, okay. Yeah, and they're doing it with autologous as well. Are there, the are
1: there well. looser state laws in Florida? Is that why they're there? Or do they just happen to be there because there's a lot of old people with bad that's eyes? That's
0: true, that's true. I don't think the state laws are much more flexible in, okay. in, in Florida, to be honest.
1: And do you see yourself exploring the cord stem cells if the FDA is giving the green light on that? Or are you just happy with the results you're getting?
0: I do think that there is a possibility of us having multiple types of stem cells to use in the future. It, it's harder to get umbilical cord cells, and there's much more red tape around it right now. So you'd really have to be in a very rigorous type of research project in order to, to be using that type of stuff. Right. Um, whereas mesenchymal or autologous stem cells. It's just your own cells going back into yourself. So it's much easier to to get and much easier to use. Right. But definitely in the future, I mean, pharmaceutical companies will probably get involved because there's going to be stem cells in a bottle, right? You can have this kind, you can have this kind, you can have this kind. Right. And so at some point, patients will have multiple choices. I
1: mean, the difference, I guess, what was appealing to me about that and also would um, lend itself to less controversy is that an umbilical cord happens to a baby that is not aborted. You know Correct. I mean? Correct. You have the umbilical cord there and even some people in the holistic like you know um, health and wellness scene like they eat their umbilical cord and there's yes. like there's like there's something to that cord that's valuable throughout human history and so it doesn't seem to have It's something that's just going to be thrown in the garbage in a hospital in a typical birth anyway. Yes. So it's not like there has to be an abortion or anything weird like that to happen. It's a
0: natural byproduct of childbirth. Correct. So there's a little bit less controversy with it too, uh, which is great. There's no no fetuses have to die, you know, in order to use these type of cells. Right.
1: Okay. Interesting. Cool. So we'll look forward to seeing what happens with that. And uh, so what are some of the things that respond best to this. Like you mentioned one of the things I was going to, actually, I'm going to ask you a couple of things. One of the things is what's the latest on the hair growth situation? Okay. Cause my hair is getting thin <laughs> and I'm like, please industry catch up. I mean, I'm, you know, I try not to be too vain, but like, let's face it, no man like really wants to start losing his hair, you know? So I'm like, ah, oh, just a couple more years, Luke, just hang in with the the widow's peak and you'll be able to fill it in, you know? So what's the progress uh, with that particular issue?
0: Well, I'll tell you, I'm really glad you asked me that this year and not last year, because I know some experts in the hair growth industry and they'll tell you even the books that they published two years ago. They literally told me, Dr. Mark, you could just throw that book in the trash. So much has happened in, over the last couple of years, not just in hair transplantation, but in stem cell and PRP therapy. Are you familiar with what PRP therapy is? I was going to
1: ask you about that. So carry on and then we'll get to the PRP. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, you know, the most traditional treatments are things like Propecia and and hair transplant, which uh, Propecia, if you're not familiar with it, it's a testosterone side effect blocker, so that it blocks the effect of testosterone on the hair follicle, which basically weakens and causes it to fall out, which is called DHT. If you take Propecia, it actually does a pretty good job of maintaining your hair from falling out. The negative side effects is that it can actually decrease your libido. It can have a pretty strong negative effect on your libido and also it can actually cause depression in a lot of patients that's such
1: a cruel joke (laughs) like now you look hotter and you have more hair but it doesn't do you any good because you don't want to have sex exactly that is like
0: isn't it funny the way that works sometimes and the side effects of that is probably much higher than what's reported in the book sure Um, I, i would say a lot of patients have that side effect sure uh, and then over the last couple of years, there's this single follicle hair transplant, which means instead of cutting a big wedge and having a big scar in the back of your head and having these big chunk of hairs sliced up into individual hairs and then reimplanted, there's now automated machines that'll actually take one hair at a time and move it so that there's no individual scar. There's no big scar in the back of your head. They're, each hair is actually harvested individually with a tiny little circular punch. Wow, that's crazy. And there's now automated machines that do this. But with the addition of PRP, which I'll explain in a second, which is platelet-rich plasma, and also newer types of antioxidants and hair-stimulating growth factors, something like glutathione. You've probably heard of glutathione. Yeah, I take injections of that a lot. So believe it or not, glutathione combined with PRP and some basic miniature hair transplants have revolutionized the hair industry. Like a lot of the hair experts would say you could, with half the number of hair transplants, uh, hair follicles that we transplant with the PRP and glutathione, you get an even better result. Wow. That's much longer lasting. So there's much more combination therapy now. There's much more use of PRP. In, in younger, healthier men like yourself uh, that don't aren't ready for a hair transplant yet, just occasional treatments of PRP that you can even do at home uh, are very becoming very popular.
1: Inject it into your
0: scalp, I'm assuming. Inject it into the scalp, but you can also in between your scalp injections, you can take a little amount of your own PRP, freeze it, in, the, in your freezer and then once a week or every other week defrost one aliquot and then micro needle it into your scalp. In other words, you soak your scalp with your own growth factors and you use a micro needle roller. It almost looks like a baby rolling pin with little tiny needles on it. And those needles actually just push your own growth factors right into your scalp. I'm on it. Sign me up. I'm like, okay, I'm on my
1: way there after the
0: recording. Yeah, You'd you'd be surprised how how well that works. That's that's
1: cool. So I've had a lot of PRP treatments, elbow, wrist, hip. Uh, Explain what that platelet-rich plasma situation is. In, and especially in relation to the contrasting it from stem cell therapy. Okay.
0: Yeah, a lot of people don't understand that PRP is very different than stem cells. So stem cells are actually actual cells that are hidden in between fat cells or hidden in bone marrow. Uh, PRP is actually just a byproduct of centrifugation and processing of your peripheral blood. So PRP is actually a blood extraction, just kind of like when you go donate blood or when you go get a lab test the the blood that's extracted is spun in a centrifuge. And when you spin blood in a centrifuge, it really splits into three main sections. You get kind of like the red blood cells, which is typically what people think of blood. They think of that red color. Those are the oxygen-carrying cells, which are called red blood cells. Those red blood cells are compacted at the bottom of the centrifuge in the vial. Then at the very top... You have all the liquidy part of the blood, which is the water, the electrolytes, all the proteins, etc. And then right in the middle between those two cells, you have a thin layer called the buffy coat. Now the buffy coat literally looks like a slightly milky fluid that's not as clear as the top layer and it's nowhere near as red as the bottom layer. It looks like this kind of this milky clear fluid right in the middle. That's called the platelet-rich plasma layer. In the Buffy coat, they call it platelet-rich plasma because it has your platelets, which are the cells that are much smaller than the red blood cells. Those are also the cells that help you clot when you cut yourself. The platelets actually stop the bleeding. But platelets are also very rich in growth factors. So the platelets release all of these growth factors that not only can grow hair, but can also decrease inflammation if you inject it in an elbow or a knee. So it has a very powerful anti-inflammatory process, much more natural and much more powerful than let's say high dose Advil or Aleve or Tylenol or anything like that. Does it stimulate
1: the production of collagen or like actually have any Healing potential, or is it really
0: just for the anti-inflammatory? No, uh, it, it, it does. It does have healing potential as well. In fact, a lot of athletes that don't either have time to go through stem cell procedure or just have a, a minor injury and need to get back on the field, they'll go straight to PRP first before anything else. Whereas before, you know, you'd have the the team doctor come out and stick them in in their knee with a with a cortisone shot, and now they're really using. PRP as not only an anti-inflammatory, but as a healing agent too, to help repair.
1: Cool. And going back to specialty uses of stem cells, uh, we talked a little bit about hair loss. And from what I understand, there's something called a systemic application where you just basically get injected with it. And then there's localized ones. And I've heard people talking about getting them injected in their vagina, in their... (laughs) Penis, like all kinds of interesting sounding stuff to me in their brain. So let's dive into some of the ways in which stem cells can be applied and maybe even specifically some of the things that you find to be interesting or exciting um, in your own practice.
0: Okay. Well, when you have the stem cells in their final version, they're really in a liquid. So you can put this liquid anywhere. One of them is systemically. You can literally just give it back to, to the patient intravenously. And the great thing about stem cells is that they have homing beacons of inflammation. So depending on what disease the patient has, the stem cells are attracted to and stick to areas of inflammation. Think of stem cells as sharks and think of inflammation as blood in the water. So if you have, let's say, a knee that's just really swollen and throbbing, it's releasing these cytokines or these signals out into the bloodstream that's saying, help me, help me, I'm hurt, I'm inflamed. The stem cells float around and they're like, ooh, we want to stick to this area. This area needs help. So they have a homing beacon mechanism of inflammation and they're very attracted to inflammation and they go to that area. So if you have a liver disease that is creating a lot of inflammation, stem cells will be dramatically drawn to that or let's say you've smoked for many years and your lungs are inflamed and really traumatized and, and deteriorated, a lot of the stem cells will get trapped in the lungs and actually stick there. And so you can imagine a systemic treatment can treat many, many different diseases. Now, the ones that we see work the best are orthopedic injuries. And I personally think the, one of the main reasons is because it's a very localized area where stem cells can be trapped in that area. In other words, if you have a shoulder or a hip or a knee that's inflamed from arthritis or a meniscal tear or a labral tear or some sort of injury, if you put stem cells there, they really can't go anywhere else. They're trapped in this room called the joint. And So you'll
1: inject them right into right the socket in of the
0: joint. the joint. Correct. Ooh, I want to get that on my hip. <laughs> Carry on. And they uh, that's what I did for my mother. Oh, uh, Okay. So the stem cells, I think, work great in that arena because they're really kind of locked in this very definitive area. They can't really float away. They can't really get diluted, so to speak. And they really stay in a concentrated area where they can just keep working in that area. And for some reason, we have the highest number of success with orthopedic patients. They just do tremendously well.
1: Have you experimented at all with... uh... Uh, genitalia injections? And <laughs> if so, tell me about it. If not, what would be the benefit?
0: We, we have e- experimented a lot. You know, I do have a background in gynecology as well. Right, so. right. So there are, and you can do this with PRP as well, not just stem cells. So you don't necessarily have to go through the whole process of, of stem cells. But when you inject stem cells and or PRP, uh, there is a kind of an improved blood flow the theory is you get an improved blood flow. So whether you inject it near the G-spot in the vagina um, or whether you inject it at the base of the penis um, to help erection and um, erectile dysfunction, you do get a large percentage of patients that do report that they have better sexual function, better lubrication, better sensation, better erections, et cetera, with these treatments. Now, there's probably you know some placebo effect in some of this but in general, even several months later, when kind of the fun and the excitement of the procedures worn off, they still report that they're doing a little better.
1: Man, if you could uh, if you could treat male pattern baldness and erectile dysfunction, <laughs> you, you have a thriving business. Especially if you move to Florida.
0: That's it's a good true. spot to do that. Believe it or not, some of the largest erectile dysfunction and O-shot or orgasm shot clinics. They're there in Florida.
1: Oh, so the O-shot, that's the, the G-spot one? That's for the women? G-spot. Interesting. Yeah. So would that be something that would be useful for an older woman that's maybe had two or three kids? and
0: Absolutely. And,
1: and is de- decreased of losing lubrication. Lubrication and sensitivity and things like yeah. that.
0: And just to throw it out there, um, this area is so popular that in the last two years, uh, three, actually, three new... Vaginal rejuvenation lasers came out to augment or supplement these type of procedures. So there's a laser that came out called the Mona Lisa... There's another laser. <laughs> they It's literally called the Mona Lisa. <laughs> that's great. It sounds like, like a, the name of a vibrator or something. It's like, right. Oh, well, something. all of these look like vibrators, uh, by okay, the way. Okay. They're a laser that's attached to a vibrator handpiece. Okay. Uh, there's another one that's called...
1: Oh, because the is going It inside. goes into the vagina. So it kind of has to
0: essentially be phallic in nature Correct. in order to deliver the effective dose of laser. Correct. Okay. And they're all phallic. The second one is called Femilift. And the third one is called Thermiva or, you know, thermi vagina, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, they all use different energy. Some use radio frequency, some use um, carbon dioxide, gas, um, CO2 lasers. And basically, they go in and literally rotate inside the vagina to create a whole new layer of better moisturization in the vagina, better collagen, better elasticity, you know, better function, Um, basically kind of rejuvenate or bring back the vaginal walls the way they used to behave when you were younger. Better elasticity, better movement, better tightness, etc. It even supposedly helps with urinary incontinence because as you get the support and the elasticity in the vagina, it actually supports the bladder as well. Right, right. So you have these stem cell and PRP injections and then you can tell that this subject is becoming popular because you now have three brand new lasers that also do uh, sexual Uh, function improvement as well. Wow,
1: that's exciting stuff. I look forward to growing old and uh, having that available to my future partners or partner, as it were. Uh, Okay, and then what about the injections into the brain? Do you have any subjective
0: experience with that or is there any anecdotal info there? Um, We don't, we personally have treated Systemically, many types of brain diseases, including Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, and Alzheimer's. However, we don't have a way to directly access the brain fluid. In other words, we don't have a way to in- directly inject into the fluid that supports the brain. So we depend on the system itself helping some of these small cells. And thankfully, stem cells are very, very small. So they're able to cross the blood brain barrier. In other words there's a barrier between right, your bloodstream right. and you know your your brain fluid is not like your blood at all. It's actually a clear fluid called the cerebrospinal fluid or CSF. So the CSF and the blood are separated by this blood brain barrier. Now many doctors like me who do more simpler procedures do the systemic IV and then help and and hope basically the body can actually get these cells across the blood brain barrier. Now Not all of them are going to get across, but even if a few of them get across, we feel like that there's a benefit to that. There are a couple of clinics that I'm aware of that have actually created a shunt, like an external port that goes directly into the CSF in severe type of patients, like patients with uh, brain tumors and patients that are really just trying to try something very experimental because their life is in danger anyway. And Where uh, they'll actually
1: penetrate the skull and just
0: get it right in there? They have a port that's uh, sitting under the scalp, and that port is directly penetrating into the fluid around the brain. Wow. Uh, and I, there is at least one group I know that's doing that um, for some terminally you know, ill patients that just want to try it.
1: Interesting. Wow. That's hardcore. Yeah. But someone like with ALS or something Correct.
0: serious, very like that, serious like... where they probably have a one to two year lifespan anyway. Right. Right. Um, so they're willing to try anything.
1: Right. Wow. Cool. And then what about, uh, have you heard about anything with uh, hearing loss? Is there any hope or anything happening there?
0: Um, we have done some intravenous, uh, systemic treatments for hearing loss and also something called tinnitus, which is this really annoying ringing in the ear the thing
1: that's in my left ear right now. Yeah. You
0: familiar, <laughs> <You're> familiar <laughs> with it? Yeah. A lot of surfers get it. Uh, we've done a group of, of those, uh, and there, I would say the majority of them have really, um, reported positive results. And in the beginning, we weren't even sure that it would help, but we actually have noticed not only hearing loss, but we've We've had many older patients who've come for arthritis or have come for lung issues and they'll come back six months later and go, you know, by the way, not only do I hear a little bit better, but I had to go get my glasses changed because my vision got better too. Wow. So that goes back to the whole macular degeneration. And so even when we're not trying to improve hearing and vision, it seems to be a side effect of many of the treatments.
1: So is there a way to do ears and eyes locally or can that only be addressed systemically?
0: No, there are, there's a couple of groups. One of them is actually in Hawaii that are doing research and there's, one, there's a couple in Florida as well where they're actually taking the needle. So for the macular degeneration patients, they're actually taking a needle and actually inserting it directly into the eyeball and having the stem cells float and attach to the retina directly.
1: Wow, what about for glaucoma?
0: Yeah, same thing for glaucoma, direct injections. Wow, that sounds cool. Definitely not something that I'm going to attempt anytime (laughs) soon. (laughs) Right, right. uh, I'm not an eye surgeon, nor do I attempt to be, but I am excited that there are some physicians who are willing to take that risk and willing to kind of go out there and be pioneers in that field. Think about
1: the risks involved in the various LASIK surgeries. Exactly. I mean, like I have two brothers that have that and mixed results. They had two different types, I I forget exactly, but um, when my, I started becoming nearsighted recently and I was like, oh, go get LASIKs and I started doing my like health net research on it and I was like, oh, hell no, (laughs) definitely not doing that. And then my brother, sure enough, like it worked for a little while and then it's starting to kind of fade now and they're having some dry... eyes eyes and yes. weird issues i'm like eh, i think i'm just gonna wear glasses until i can get injected in my eyeballs yeah sounds like fun but still less invasive i would say than than lasik i remember when i took my first brother i took him to the hospital and it was the kind where they sort of slice a little yes. thing and put a little thing and like they're like scalping your eyeball and then i took him out of there with bandages over his eyes like the freaking elephant man and had to drive him around and like lead him around like a blind guy you know it was it was Traumatic for me just to watch him. So I think that kind of scared me away. So getting, you know, some stem cells injected, not a big deal. Absolutely. Another thing that I uh, heard about in this uh, area was using a nebulizer to inhale stem cells to alleviate lung issues. Any info on that?
0: Yeah, there's, there's two benefits, I think, to nebulizer treatments. One is it kind of gives a direct access to the lungs where you kind of vaporize and allow some of the cells to go in whether those cells are actually doing the work or whether it's the nebulizer attracting more cells to come to the area. And let me explain what I mean by that. When you inhale a nebulizer treatment, it dilates uh, the bronchioles and, and opens up the lungs to more blood flow. In other words, people who are having tightness or, or difficulty breathing, asthma, for example, every time you take an inhale of the puffer, that's a mini version of the nebulizer. The nebulizer is very good at getting the lungs to open up and increase blood flow. Well, guess what happens if you're giving a peripheral IV of stem cells as you're getting a nebulizer treatment, right? You've now just doubled or tripled the blood flow to your lungs, and you've now got all of these cells that are flowing into the body. When an IV goes into anyone's body, where do you think the first place it goes to? It goes back to your heart. Where do you think the second place it goes to? Straight from your heart? To your lungs because any blood that returns to the heart has to be reoxygenated at the lungs. So we're basically tricking the body into getting more stem cells to get to the lungs. You give them a peripheral IV, you've now used the nebulizer to open up their blood flow to their lung tissue, and you've now created a bigger trap for the stem cells in the lung. So you've now got all of these cells coming to the lungs. I was picturing
1: like... Getting a nebulizer, (laughs) squirting some stem cells in there and inhaling them like an e-cig
0: or something. So you actually just use that to... Okay, got it. Interesting. It's true. I I personally think that that's really where we're getting a lot of the benefit. You've got this nebulizer that's forcing the lungs to get a lot more blood to come to it. At the same time, all that blood's got stem cells coming right in from the heart. And, And the stem cells,
1: so they're obviously seeking out inflammation how do stem cells affect viruses fungal infections things like that like if somebody had some type of systemic infection or like a lung infection do stem cells go in
0: there and like aha what's their sort of immune potential so stem cells don't really have any killer potential for bacteria and viruses in other words they're not like the killer t cells or they're not like the type of immune cells that can actually attack viruses and bacteria um, however, the stem cells are able to modulate and improve immune function. In other words, we see with a lot of autoimmune diseases where it's able to get the immune system to function better, whether it's to stop it from attacking yourself or whether it's to help you attack something that is foreign. So it starts to regulate the immune system so that if you have an autoimmune disease, it tells your body, hey, don't attack yourself, You know, calm down. Or if you're weak and you, you need an immune boosting then it's able to help your immune system build more cells to, to fight. So it stimulates the growth of your immune system to fight the right type of enemies, which is bacteria and viruses. So even though stem cells can't kill bacteria and viruses directly, they are a very good support system for your immune system. Right.
1: right. Great. Guy, do you have a really um, a powerful knack for explaining complex medical concepts in a way that's very understandable? Well, kudos you. on that so i interview people sometimes like i interviewed early on one of my favorite biohacking doctors by the name of dr jack cruz and like i'm fascinated when i talk to him but it's really hard for me to keep up even when i'm like please please just like <laughs> simplify simplify i'm like begging you jack come on man like normal people are gonna listen to this you know and he gets off on these like tangents that you re- you have to listen to the podcast 25 times to find like, oh okay so you know, thank you for bringing all of this stuff in a way that's um, digestible for us. So I think we've covered most everything that I had in terms of questions. And it's really actually very exciting to learn all of this stuff. I mean, I think this is something that's just going to absolutely start to blow up. And I'm sure the people that are listening to this are going, I have ear problems. I can't get it up. I have this, I have that. Like I'm down. I'm ready to get some injections. What are we currently looking at in the state of like the financing of it? I am. I can only assume insurance doesn't cover this because they don't cover anything that works. <laughs> uh So, you know, how does like, you know, even your pricing or just generally in the industry, what's someone looking at? Like the only point of reference I have is the place I looked into in Guadalajara, Mexico, and it was 15 grand for the whole thing, but you had to do the travel and all that, which for a lot of people, let's face it, I don't care how much my knee hurts. I'm like, I'll deal with the hurt knee rather than throwing 15 grand on a credit card. So you know is it based on um like how many areas you want to do or what what's the
0: deal with the with the money let's get down to brass tacks there is a certain complexity to certain types of procedures and there's also you know certain types of equipment that we need to process certain types of cells that we inject into knees and things like that um so there is a little additional cost but i would say an average treatment costs anywhere between 10 to 15000 and keep in mind i know that sounds expensive to the general public But there is, in order to do it right and in order to give the patient a good treatment... You need to have the proper type of sedation so it doesn't hurt. You need an anesthesiologist to do that with you. Um, You need a surgeon to be able to extract the fat. You need somebody who can really do the technical part of the processing very well and make sure they give you the highest number and best quality stem cells possible. You need a nurse to make sure they're monitoring your vitals and helping you recover through the process. And we're looking at probably a four-hour procedure from beginning to end because you're extracting the cells, you're processing them, and then you're re-injecting them back into the patient. There's really three steps involved. So we found that if we're we're able to do these three steps very, very well, it really does cost about that. And we, we try to keep the cost down as much as possible for the patient, but we also want to explain to the patient why it costs so much. And we're hoping in the future as we get into banking cells and as we get into being able to store cells that we can skip a couple of these steps so that we can bring the cost down for you because we want more people to do this. We don't want this to be a procedure just for rich patients. We want this to be for everybody because we truly believe that everyone has the right to use their own cells to heal themselves. And so it would make me very happy in the next few years if we can kind of get these procedures to become common everyday procedures that everyone can afford.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I totally get it. And again, you know, $15,000 sounds like a lot of money, but not if you compare it to medical bills. I think a lot of us have a sort of disconnect with how much medical care actually costs because a lot of it's covered you know by your insurance if right. you have an emergency right so right. i don't know if i go get picked up by an ambulance or an airlift because i injured myself hiking get flown to cedar sinai stay there for four days and get checked out like i, I might not even have a, a monetary picture of what's really going on between those entities and my insurance you know absolutely it's just kind of like taken care of But I did have one experience. This is many years ago where I had some sort of like cramp or my back seized up. I probably was having an anxiety attack or something and I had someone drop me off at Cedar sinai I went in the emergency room for... I was probably in there 20 minutes. They check my vitals. You're fine. You're fine. It's all in your head. And they just sent me walking out of there and I got a bill for six grand. And that was like, this is back in 2001 or something, you know,
0: Right for 20 um, minutes.
1: Yeah. And I didn't have any insurance. And I have a friend actually I just visited in Cedar Sinai hospital a couple days ago, brought us some green juice and stuff. And uh, I was like, oh, you have insurance, right? She's like, yeah, thank God. Cause it's eight grand a day for me just to sit here. I was like, oh my God, that's to not even have a
0: procedure. Yes,
1: That's a few tests. Make sure you don't die while you're laying in this bed, watching Netflix or whatever, you know, yep. it's like, it gets crazy expensive when you actually start having something done, just let alone having the staff in place like you're describing. So, you know, I totally get it. And I too look forward to the day when it becomes, you know, a much more sort of rote procedure that someone who is an affluent has access to. Cause let's face it, like somebody who has money, they also have access to healthier food and a healthier lifestyle and a personal trainer and a dietitian, and they're doing better overall anyway. Absolutely. absolutely. You know, quality water and quality air and just a quality of life where someone who's um, on the poor scale is like just going to be inherently sicker. They're shopping at the horrible grocery
0: store, not Whole Foods and all that. So I'm looking forward to that too. And Luke, keep in mind also that there a lot of patients don't necessarily come to us because they want to try something new. A lot of the patients come to us because they've exhausted the traditional treatments for their disease. In other words, they they've gone to all the doctors they can go to. Uh, take for example a, a lung patient, a COPD patient. Uh, they've gone to every pulmonologist. They've had every test. They've tried every inhaler. They've used every medication that they can, and their lungs just keep getting worse and worse. And finally, they get to the point where the all the doctors just say, "Look." Take this oxygen tank, just go home and don't bug us because we got nothing else for you, right? So that's the type of patient that is coming to us, not necessarily because they're like, hey, let's try something new. It's because they've tried everything else and they are looking for something alternative that can actually do what all Western medicine just hasn't been able to do for them. And so right. we are sometimes a last resort for people. Yeah. So at that point you especially like price is not
1: <laughs> it's not the issue. Yeah. You're like trying to stay alive or actually walk without a cane or something like that. I mean, like where I'm at with my health. Most people would consider me really healthy. I don't get sick. But if I have any little issue, I'm like ready to throw money and time (laughs) at it because I just want to be optimal. I'm used to feeling pretty good. But you do notice, um, you know, as you age, I'm 46 now and there's weird aches and pains and ringing in the ears and just... My vision and just strange things that start to happen and I, I maybe I have an arrogant point of view I'm like that's not supposed to happen to me I'm like Mr. health guy you right. know so um, so i'm I'm looking forward to experimenting some more with this after having done a considerable amount of PRP and had good results with that but i I think as you say as time goes on, this procedure will become hopefully less complex and practitioners will have systems in place that are you know, less involved and not as, you know, like such an intense surgical yeah, procedure. Exactly. It'll imagine become. if stem cell therapy was, I, when I go get PRP, it's like, it's the waiting room a couple of minutes, they come in, they take some blood, 50 minutes later, they go and take this like vial of pus and start shooting it in my elbow, <laughs> basically. And I don't know the whole thing. I'm out of there in an hour. It doesn't seem like a big deal. There's maybe some local anesthesia, but it's a pretty simple procedure with good results. So. Yes.
0: Yes, PRP uh,
1: has thankfully
0: gotten down to a very nice, simple procedure.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because I see PRP like at, I don't know, almost like just little beauty clinics and stuff. It's like I had to go to a special, I don't even know what they were, orthopedic surgeon or something. It was like kind of a big deal. It was a few years ago when I first started looking into that. But now it's like, I don't know, I drive by the health food store and it's like PRP in the back room. You know, it's like, it's like seems to be very cavalier with the PRP at the moment. Everyone has a centrifuge and the ability
0: to draw blood. I don't know. Yeah. Have you heard, have you heard of uh, a vampire facial? Do you know? No, that is? No. So, so a lot of spas and, and beauty places have Uh, An ability to centrifuge, maybe not as complex of a specific type of PRP like we can do, um, but they can get a basic type of PRP, apply it to the face, use the same microneedle process we talked about with the hair, and actually... uh, push the growth factors into the skin to help rejuvenate the skin. Wow. Um, you have seen a lot of celebrities do it on social media, um, but it, it got this term vampire facial because you're applying blood onto your face right, and, and using right. PRP uh, and microneedling together. Yeah. I can see why I'm seeing a bit more of that in
1: Hollywood. Yeah. Okay. So as we wrap up here, are there any other uh, modalities or treatments that you're excited about looking into or that you also practice that you want to share with us?
0: Uh there's so many things that come out every year. I just came back from um, the American Academy of Cosmetic Surgery and also I go to several uh, stem cell conferences um, each year. So there's lots of newer ways to process these cells. There's newer ways to apply them. There's thicker uh, versions of them, for example, uh, for knee injections. Instead of just injecting, injecting a liquidy type of stem cells, we can actually make a thicker, more cushiony type of stem cells. So think about an insert that you would put in your shoe to kind of give it an extra cushion. We can do that with stem cells in the knee where we inject a thicker version for people who are almost bone-on-bone. And not only do the stem cells help regenerate the joint, but they actually act as a cushion to prevent that pain of the bone-on-bone pain. And so there's all these new ways and all these new modalities coming out that are basically improving what I was doing even just a year ago. So I think over the next couple of years you'll find us using stem cells and in vaginal rejuvenation and in sexual dysfunction and improving um, joints in a much better way than before so there's a whole bunch of stuff coming down the pike in the next year or two
1: awesome what one thing I forgot to ask you that I want to make sure I ask have you heard any miraculous stories about people regrowing teeth
0: like <laughs> any <laughs> dentition um, advantages here? There are. There are groups of oral maxillofacial surgeons that are using stem cell to help grow, like regrow teeth and and actually grow teeth in uh, a Petri dish and then eventually get that tooth and implant it. Interesting. There is also something called 3D printing. This is really cutting edge. There's really not a lot of people doing it, but there's uh, clinics creating a three-dimensional matrix. So let's just say you got your ear chopped off, you know, in a bad accident. They can take an image of your other ear and they can actually create a 3D mold of it, a biomold which can actually be inserted under the skin. And stem cells can be placed there, and it can actually start to regrow cartilage in that scaffold. So the scaffold has a bunch of holes in it, and then the cells actually grow into these this mold and actually become the shape of the new ear. So this is called three dimensional bioprinting. You can actually, and it literally is a printer that prints an ear. Oh my god! So in three dimensions. That's so cool. So uh, I'm telling you, there's some really exciting things coming down the pipe. Wow, man, that is cool. I can't wait to see where this
1: goes because it's, you know, like everything now, when it, when this stuff takes off, it's happening so fast. So like a few years ago, I mean, this was super fringe and I was hearing about it just because I was interested in this, but now it's kind of becoming more mainstream and uh, that's just really good news for technology like this. Because as you said, the price will go down, the accessibility will go down and the technology level is going up at the same time. So
0: it's awesome. I mean, think about, think of how huge your cell phone was, uh, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I have one in my hand right now doing an Instagram story. There you go. What's up, what's up, what's up? The first time you saw an iPhone, the uh, the iPhone 3 and, and Steve Jobs came out and showed you that a phone can actually also play music and surf the internet, you were like, what? Yeah. You know, this is impossible. Yeah, absolutely. So the idea of this, like
1: something so outlandish as regrowing a tooth or 3D printing an ear or something like that, like now we're like, oh, oh, oh that'll never happen. Like watch two years, boom, it just becomes the norm. I watched the printer print an ear. It's unbelievable. Wow. It's
0: really unbelievable. Awesome stuff.
1: Okay, so <laughs> I think we've absolutely covered this at length and in depth. I'm super excited. I got all of my questions answered. I don't think anyone could do a more thorough job of explaining every nuance of stem cells. I think I'm going to even probably call this like everything you ever wanted to know about stem cells and more. So I'm really glad we're able to stay focused and cover so much. And you've taught me tons about this. So who have been in your life, three teachers, whether in the medical industry or otherwise, or just three teachings that have been influential on you that you might
0: be able to recommend to us? I mean, I have so many great mentors. I can't even like begin to think about.
1: You could say like three books. Like someone would be like the Bible, The Power of Now, and my grandma. Like, <laughs> okay, you know what I mean. It's <laughs> I. I might have stumped you unnecessarily. I you did stump
0: me. Um, I did stump me. Um, I mean, my my parents are definitely a huge influence in my life. Um, they always taught me to never give up. Always kind of push yourself to the limit. Never think that you can um, not do something and just set the bar really high. Inspirational people like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and just people who just did not take no for an answer. They said, I'm going to push this industry much further than anyone can do it. Uh, Those are the type of pioneers that just I look up to and say, I really want to be a pioneer in my field too. And I'm not going to give up until I see this all the way. Awesome,
1: man. And I can tell that you're one of those. So thanks for bringing that to the world and to the show. So where can people find you and your work?
0: What's your website, social media, all that stuff? Wonderful. Well, we are located in Santa Monica. Our uh, stem cell clinic is called Unique Therapies, and you can find us at uniquetherapies.com. And if you have any questions, our telephone number is 310-434-0044. And we welcome any questions or or any consults that people want to come in for. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a blast. Thanks, Luke. Appreciate it.
1: Till the next time we say goodbye, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. Always a bittersweet moment, isn't it? It is for me. I dig deep with these guests, find out all of this great information. And to tell you the truth, most of the time I just don't want to stop because my brain is a sponge for information. However, the time has come, my friend, to say merci, beaucoup, adios, obrigado. Thank you so much for listening. Muchas gracias. All that good stuff. I want to remind you to go to lukestory.com and sign up for my goddamn newsletter. It's really good stuff. You can find it right on the homepage. It says, join the tribe. Put your email there and I will send you bitchin' stuff. Don't forget to join us next week with my guest, Psalm Isadora, where we talk about the ins and outs, no pun intended, of sex, y'all. Until next Tuesday, have a great weekend, have a great week, and I'll see you soon. Okay, now that we've wrapped up another episode and are even more inspired to live a healthy, happy lifestyle, I want to remind you to go to Organifi.com. That's spelled with an I, Organifi.com. Check out the green juice powder. It's fantastic. And what's even more fantastic is that if you enter the code LIFESTYLIST at checkout, you're going to save a whopping 20% off your order. Go to Organifi.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST, save 20%.